0: Good morning, Veritas. Happy Thanksgiving week. Excited uh, to open the word with you guys. We are in the book of James. And I want to start with a question. I want, to, want you to imagine uh, talking to someone, maybe, maybe a college student, maybe someone in their 20s, 30s, whatever. And they're, they're saying, you know, I accepted Jesus when I was a kid. When I was uh, at a youth camp. I prayed to receive Jesus, and uh, but you're looking at their life and you're like, wow, I just don't see any evidence at all that you're a Christian, like you're selfish, greedy, immoral, like very, you know, living on planet me, uh, and, and I just don't see any Uh, Jesus in you, so uh, that those two things don't go together. And they're like, "Oh yeah, but I I pray to receive Jesus." And you ask them like, "Do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior?" And they're like, "Totally, yeah." John three sixteen. Let's go. I have have it memorized. You're like, "Hmm, what do we do with that?" Well, let's open to James chapter two verse fourteen through sixteen through twenty six, and we'll we'll see what James has to say about this. This is. God's Word here. It's up on the screens. Uh, some of you guys have been using the scripture notebook to take notes, and I'm going to read out of this. Uh, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what, what good is it? In the same way, if it does not have works, it's dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, Wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's work our way through this text. Starting in verse 14, he asks this question, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters, "'if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, "'can such faith save him?' Now it's important to understand the, the, I mean, this is this verse 14 is so important. He's setting up a theoretical, someone who claims to have faith. So this is a hypothetical, kind of theoretical situation. And this person is claiming to have faith. So you could think of it as quote unquote faith. And it says it's faith without works. What are works? Works are actions done in obedience to God. So is it possible for someone to say, I'm a Christian, but there's no actual obedience to Jesus in their life? So verse 15, so for example, he says, if a brother or sister is without clothes, lacks daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed. This is kind of a hilarious situation because this person is like shivering without a coat, they're homeless, they're hungry, they're shivering, and you're like, hey, let me pray for you. Lord, bless you. Lord, bless you today. Be at peace. But you don't give them what the body needs? What good is it? He's saying, your spiritual Christian cliches are of no value to this person who's in, who has obvious physical needs. And this person doesn't need your prayers, they need your help. They need a coat. And he says, verse 17, in the same way, if if same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. A faith that's all talk is dead. Now I think that James is getting his, his teaching here from Jesus. Do you guys remember Matthew 25, where Jesus tells a story of uh, he says, when the son of man comes and in in all his holy angels with him, he will gather all the nations before him, before his glorious throne. So he's describing the final judgment. And he says, he's going to separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, he, this, listen to what he says in verse 40, 20, Matthew 25, 41. The king will say to those on his left, so he's looking at the goats, Depart from me, you, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, why are they cursed? Why are they separated? What is the reason Jesus gives? For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. Do you guys hear James 2 right here? James is basically repeating the teaching of Jesus here. And here's what he's saying. This Think of this so-called faith in verse 14, such faith. Point number one about this quote-unquote faith, it's all talk and no action. All talk and no action. We have phrases we use, they talk to the talk, but they don't walk the walk, right? They're just, they talk big, but talk is cheap, right? They don't live it. And there's a thousand examples of, that James could have used to make his point about a life that's not obedient to Jesus, he could have used sexual immorality, greed, lying, stealing, any, any number of things. But in the context of James, you remember he's talked a lot about the poor. Last week he talked about how we don't want to be those like ultra judgmental Christians who are always going around, just we're right, telling other people they're wrong all the time. And he's like, no, mercy triumphs over judgment. Like Christians are not just hearers of the word, but they're doers as well. They live it out into daily life. And he's saying one example of what that looks like is you care about the people around you. You meet the tangible needs of the people that God puts in your life. So the question, Veritas, for you is how are you doing at meeting the needs of the people around you? How are you doing at loving and serving other people? Does your life, in the way that you give your time, share your resource, like you are just, you're seeing people and you're meeting needs. How are you doing at that? And it might, it might be the homeless person. It might also be like a child a difficult person God has put in your life, somebody that's in need, not just some random person you came across on social media, but like an actual person that's in your life. How are you doing it loving and serving those people? I wanna, it would be easy for me to spend uh, quite a bit of time on this, stirring up guilt, because this is, I mean, if you wanna make someone feel guilty, just just ask him this question, how are you doing at serving the poor? And, and I actually wanted to encourage you guys with, with some stories of what God is doing in our church. This week, um, there, was a, there was a baby, uh, I think a few months ago, uh, this baby was born without a name. And it was kind of in temporary placement. Uh, it was born and the mom was kind of out of the picture within hours of the birth. This baby was, was left without a name. Uh, a Veritas family took this this baby in. Uh, there was another situation where a, a woman came in who was in a vulnerable place, uh, abusive situation, and uh, some Veritas families just immediately surrounded her, like took her shopping, uh, housed her. I mean, it was. I, I'm seeing this lived out in so many ways. But one of the ways that all of us are living this out, you may not know this, but if you give to Veritas Church, you're, you're a, a generous giver, you're part of this thing, I just have to share this letter with you because this came this week as I'm studying this text and it's addressed to all of us at Veritas Church and it comes from our dear friend, Joe Kalunga. There he is on the left, Joe. And this is the first, I actually took a video as we're pulling into this rural area, it's, it's deep in the bush uh, in this remote area of Zambia in Kabanza Village. And this guy, uh, Joe Kalunga, is the, uh, is the teacher for all these hundreds of kids. And uh, he's, he's the point person on all this. We just did the medical clinic and Jeff's been sharing about this. But I want to read this letter that he sent us. He says, Dear Brethren of Veritas Church, greetings to you all in the name of our Lord and personal Savior, Jesus Christ. This letter saves not only to thank you, but also to congratulate you for your selfless, unique help you have rendered to us, the people of Cabanza, by donating an extraordinary clinic. Who are we to deserve this? Note that this life-saving facility has been our cry since our settlement in this remote and hard-to-reach area. Hundreds of lives have been lost from curable diseases. We've killed innocent old people, accusing them of being witches. Behind all deaths, yet it was malaria or malnutrition behind these deaths. We are unable to tell the number of maternal deaths that happened in the past. Remember that the first patients at Kabanza Village Clinic was maternal related, as well as malaria, respectively. The reason we named the first baby boy after Pastor Jeff. Isn't that hilarious? The first baby born at the clinic is named Jeff. I mean, you can't make that up. That's hilarious. Like, they had no other choice. Like, what are you going to name it? After that guy. You know, just like, Jeff. That's funny. You may wonder why it has taken this while to hear a word of thanks from us. Kindly recall what happened. at. How about they have no internet? And there's no, like, they're hours away from civilization. But anyway... Uh, You may wonder why it's taken a while to hear a word of thanks from us. Kindly recall what happened at the time Jesus went to heaven. Disciples never preached the gospel for a while until the promised Holy Spirit came. Cabanza people for the past month never believed the reality and existence of the clinic. To us, we thought it is a dream. As we are writing to you, Christian friends, we are doing so under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostal day of Cabanza. Hence, understanding our feelings or rather expressing it in writing to prove our deepest heartfelt thanks for your job well done has been overridden by our joy, being filled with the Holy Spirit of Bethesda healing now happening in Kibansa. We have completely failed to write in an orderly manner. Hence, others will conclude that we are drunk and meaningless. No, no, brethren, kindly look at our facial expression. It clearly looked like we've just woke up from a longest dream ever, only to find an expensive clinic built in Cabanza. A million questions have not been answered by ourselves to date. How did Veritas Church came to know about us? How did Veritas members manage to source this million dollars in this Kelowna time? I don't know what Kelowna time is, but we'll go with it. Hundreds of microscopic health centers in Zambia have taken years without completion nor commissioned. But how did Kabansa Village Clinic through Veritas got commissioned within such a short time? Who is paying all health personnel at Kabanza Clinic, including the cleaner and the guard? Vera. How have we come to know about God in Kabanza? Vera. And is looking Morgan, our pastor? Vera. All these questions shows clearly who Veritas is to us. And it's been telling reason we have been daydreaming, thinking on what Veritas Church is. We can go on and on saying the same things, but in different tongues. Therefore, allow us to end by congratulating your humble pastor, Jeff. He never would have read that. This is, uh, and the entire medical team and Marlon from Cornerstone Church for their time to come and officiate our clinic. God bless you all, yours in Christ. Kalunga Joe. Your faith in action. How did we get that millions of dollars for this Kabata Clinic? Let me tell you how they got it. You. Gave. You sacrificed. You have given. And let's just say it: most of you in this life, you'll never go to Zambia. You'll never meet Joe Kalunga in person. But I'm telling you, someday you will meet him, and Baby Jeff, and everyone in between, in Kabanza. That has been transformed by the gospel. You will meet them someday. And I could spend some more time, I could spend time making us feel guilty about all the people we're not helping. Or I could invite you to join us. If you're new to Veritas or like your first time, you're like, I'm trying to figure out like what I want my life to be about. What better thing do you have going for you than this? I just want to invite you to come and see what God will do through us. A family on mission for Jesus. Meeting needs, not only in Zambia, but in our city, in our community. What could this world look like with a group like this living out, bringing Jesus to this world, faith in action That's a, I think vision for that is is much more motivating than, than just feeling guilty about it. But he goes on, verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. This is a little confusing what he's saying here after reading a lot of commentaries. I still don't know for sure, but I think what he's doing here is he's trying to separate Someone's trying to separate faith from the action works part as if they could be separated. And James is saying, here's the thing. Faith is invisible, right? Like, so how would you prove it? You can't put faith under a microscope and say, oh, yep, that's faith. That's real faith. So, so how would you see it? He says, let me show you. I want you to see with your eyes what faith looks like. And he gives this example. I'll show you my faith by my works. How do you prove that your faith is real? You see the effect that it has on someone's life. For example, say you wanted to prove to your relative that you were talking to about derecho. Like we had these really fierce straight line winds that blew through our state. And they're like, yeah, right. I've never heard of that. Derecho, that sounds fake. What would you do to prove that it was real? you'd probably put them on FaceTime and you would show them your backyard or someone else's backyard, right? And what would they see? Like tree limbs are down, trees, you know, go up to Cedar Rapids, like oak trees in living rooms. Like here it is. I can't see the wind, but I can prove it by the effect of it. It's absurd that you could, you think you could separate the wind from its effect or the wind from the works of the wind, right? And so it is with a Christian. Did you know the, the Holy Spirit, uh, pneuma in Greek means wind? Like the, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit of God gets in you and it, it doesn't leave a trail of destruction, it leaves a trail of like healing, right? And so the way that you look at your life is the, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit of God in you, you can see it in the effect of it in your life Verse 19, so you believe that God is one? Good, even the demons believe and they shudder. This, this saying, you believe that there is one God, do you guys remember, we, we reference Deuteronomy 6 a lot at Veritas. It's one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament. And in the Shema, it's called the Shema for the Hebrew, first Hebrew word, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, a Jewish person quotes this multiple times throughout the day. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's saying, you believe that the Lord is one? You believe Deuteronomy 6? You quote it all the time? That's the same, it would be like us saying, hey, you believe John 3.16? Do you believe John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, you're like, oh, totally. Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? And you're like, totally, I'm all for that. I'm all about John 3.16, And he's like, oh great, you believe that with your head? Great, you know what that means for you? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the fact that you believe those facts about Jesus now puts you at the level of Satan. Congratulations. You and Satan are now on equal level because you believe that. So Second point about so-called faith that he started talking about in verse 14. It's all talk, no action, number one, and number two, it's mere head knowledge. Quote, unquote, so-called faith is mere head knowledge. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who what? Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's obedience, that's works. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we preach the word? Didn't we have awesome, we had perfect doctrine. We stood for the right things, like, I can prove it to you. Look at my social media, like, I'm for and against all the right things. And Jesus says, who are you? What was your name again? Like, I I don't know who you are. I I never knew who you were. I, I never knew you. Let me illustrate what James is talking about here with a couple Props. So I've got, this is uh, the chair illustration. So this is uh, an easy way to illustrate to somebody who says, well, I believe in Jesus, but you don't see any action, any obedience, any changed life. So we're going to do a simple illustration here. You can remember this. It's really easy. So there's always, you always have access to a chair. So you're sitting in your chair and uh, here's here's an empty chair. So Veritas, do you believe that, This chair exists. Do you believe this chair exists? Yeah, Yeah, you believe that? Good, okay. These are kind of patronizing questions, but we have to do this to make the point, right? So you believe this chair exists. Good, awesome, that's great. Um, Do you believe that if I sat in the chair that that chair could hold me? Yes, thank you, Rob. Good. Um, So Rob, why don't we just do this, you and I? Rob, why is this chair not holding me now? I'm sitting in a different chair. Thank you. Uh, So those three questions are pretty simple. And here's what this illustrates. This is how most people interact with Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe, not only do I believe he exists, I believe he could save me. I believe that he was raised from the dead and he, Could forgive my sins. Like, he's he's Savior. Absolutely, I believe all that. In fact, I come every Sunday and I sing about it. I'm telling you, like, it's, it's great. And so, James, you see what James is doing? You believe intellectually all these facts about God that are true and right. That's great. But who are you trusting? Like, I'm still trusting me. Well, James says that's not faith. Faith is not all talk and mere head knowledge. Verse 20, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Conclusion number one about this so called faith so called faith is a sham. It's false, it's fake, it's not real, it's not a thing. And he says, let me show you how bogus it is by telling you what real faith looks like. Verse 21, this is saving faith. This is not so-called faith. Now let's talk about saving faith, verse 21 wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. This word for active together is the Greek word synerge, which is word, what, what does that sound like? Synergy. When people have synergy, it's like, wow, they're dynamic together. They work together. Or objects that work together. You could think about a blade of scissors, right? One blade is not very useful. But when you put two blades of the scissors together, the blades have a synergy. And that's the relationship between faith and works. Verse 23 And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Some of you are asking the question, wait a minute, I've read the book of Romans and I think I've heard the exact opposite thing. Well, you have. Let's see what Paul says. Romans 3.28. A person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. James 124. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I think they literally just literally, in a literally, just said the opposite thing, exact opposite thing, right? So I knew, like I was worried that my atheist professor was right. The Bible is full of contradictions. And as it turns out, he's right. So what do we do? What are we going to do about that? My dad uh, was talking to his, uh, he's, got, he's got all these friends at Pickleball and and one of them is a, a Catholic gal and they always go back and forth. My dad's always sharing the verse of the day and she came with her verse of the day and her verse of the day was James one twenty four. you know, uh, just saying, you know, so So who's right? The Protestants or the Catholics? How are we gonna solve this? And what's funny is, Paul and James both use Abraham to make the exact opposite point. The same story about Abraham in Genesis 15. So what do we do? Well, thankfully I have a secret Dakota ring that you guys don't have. No, Uh, it, it actually, I think what we're seeing here is Paul and James are saying the exact same thing but they're talking to two different groups of people and they're using the word justification in two different ways. We do this in English a lot. Let me give you an example, even with this word justified. So look at, Paul is saying, how did Abraham get right with God? How did he get acquitted, forgiven of his sin and declared righteous? How did that happen? Paul says he believed and he was justified. That's what the scripture says. So here's what Paul's saying. Abraham was justified by faith alone. He was acquitted. So God's initial declaration that you are right with him is by grace alone through faith alone. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that's how you enter a relationship with God. That's what Abraham did, and that's what all of us have done if we're going to heaven. Now, James is asking a different question to a different group of people, because remember, he's talking to so-called faith person. That's a different audience. And he's saying, what was the proof that Abraham was acquitted or truly justified by God. Like, how would we validate or prove the authenticity of Abraham's faith? And so James uses the word justified to mean validated. God's final declaration that, you are trans, that your transformed life is proof that your faith is real. Do you get the difference between acquitted and validated? Acquitted is like you're forgiven. And when you get to heaven, God and you are reflecting on how much Jesus Christ changed your life. And you guys are laughing and just, he's like, man, I just... The same, this is a term we use in, in theology. The same faith that justifies also sanctifies. You are justified and God is making you more like Jesus and, and you're laughing with God over all the, the radical change that Jesus made in your life. And he's like, that is the real thing right there. That faith. And Paul agrees with James. We see this over and over through Paul's writings. Even in Romans 1.5, Paul says he talks about the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith. He's saying the same thing as James. Like faith leads to a changed life. Again, in Galatians 5.6, Paul talks about faith working through love. That's James' language. So, Remember, this is not a contrast between faith and works. This is a contrast between so-called faith and actual real faith. You get it? We're not saying you're saved by works. We're saying you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But that faith leads to a transformed life. So conclusion number two, The same faith that saves you also transforms you to be more like Jesus. The same faith that saves you also transforms you to be more like Jesus. That's the meaning of the phrase, the same faith that justifies also sanctifies. So some of you are hoping that I will go after the Catholic Church on this point And make sure all of you know that the Protestants got it right. But here's why we're not going to do that this morning. Because James is talking to us. And you know what I think our problem is in our church, in our little stream of evangelicalism? This is the kind of heresy and falsehood that I hear from people. Well, my child accepted Jesus when they were young. And I know that they've, you know, they're not walking with Jesus and they never really have. And they, but I just, God did something at that youth camp. Or they were confirmed and then they were baptized. And I know we haven't seen change for the last 30, 40, 50 years, but I know that they prayed the prayer. Prayer. or the college student, that yeah, I, I went to youth group a couple times and I, I totally, I believe that. Well, well, your life sure doesn't look like it. Like you're partying all the time. Your, your life is so all about you. Oh, but, but I know Jesus. All talk, no action. That's who James is talking to. You believe there's, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Great. The demons believe that. We're not talking about mere head knowledge here. We're not talking about you're going to go to heaven and answer the right quiz question on Jesus, like multiple choice tests. Like you're going to check the Christianity box. And God's going to say, wow, great job. James is saying, that's not real faith. That's not the life God wants for you. And James has already told us the gospel in 118, when he says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. He's saying, when the gospel gets in you, it changes you, it transforms you. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want for you. So some of you this morning, I just want to go back to the chair illustration and say, so say this morning you're sitting here and you're mere intellectual ascent person, you're mere head knowledge person. What are you to do this morning? Here's what you are to do. Leave your comfortable church chair. Imagine that this is the cross of Christ. And transfer your trust to Jesus Christ. And here's where that gets practical. The transferring in trust involves turning away from yourself, dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, saying, this selfish life I have been living on planet me, thinking only of myself, greedy, immoral, cheating, lying, stealing, all the things. Blessing people who are in need, but not actually sacrificing and giving, all those things that represent a selfish life. Repent, turn away from that, and transfer your trust to Jesus Christ this morning. And here's the great news. The story ends in verse 25 and 26, with the story of Rahab the prostitute, which is hilarious because you've got Abraham the patriarch and Rahab this prostitute who is justified. You can read about her story in the book of Joshua, Joshua uh, 2, and you can see that God is all about changing lives. And every week, that is the hope that we offer you this morning. Every single Sunday when you come, it's not just let's all come and intellectually agree that Jesus is Lord. No, it's receive him. Let him have your life and watch how he will change everything about you. Watch how he will transform your private life, your marriage. Watch how he will transform our city, our county, our country. And even to the ends of the earth in Zambia, that's what Jesus wants to do in and through us. So would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, we love you. And we wanna know you. We wanna be changed by you. We don't want our faith just to be a bunch of historical facts, about a cross and an empty tomb. God, we want the living Jesus to come and just, we invite you to change us. Continue the good work you've begun in us and through us to the ends of the earth. God, we, we step into the vision you have for us of a life of loving and serving the people around us. Help us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.